Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. Hear the word of the Lord. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Whenever we have an upcoming journey, as a number of us had this summer with our various trips, we plan for two things. We plan for being away and what we're going to do, the clothes we need, the money we need, the the travels and so on. But we also plan for what happens in our absence, don't we? Who is going to take care of the cat? Who is going to water the plants? Uh, In my case, who's going to preach when I'm not here on a Sunday? Uh, Who is going to pick up the mail or whatever it might be? It's a normal thing that we do. And as we're coming to the end of the Gospels, we find that this section of parables shifts in its focus to the meantime. Jesus, in this section, talks about what to do in the meantime. What meantime? The meantime between when he starts his journey and when he comes back from his journey. Because he's preparing his disciples for a time when he will no longer be with them. And he is saying that he will be away. And he is giving them parables to know what to do in his absence, because he doesn't say how long that journey will be. And here we have three parables in a row that talk about what to do in his absence, 
And then we have one parable that talks about what happens when he comes back. The first parable is a parable about servants. Some of the servants at the end of chapter 24 did what they were told. Other servants, they took advantage because he was, he was taking so long. And they began to get drunk and they began to, to take advantage of the other servants and, and live profligate lives. And then he comes back. And then he deals with both of those servants. And then there's the next one about the ten virgins. And some of the virgins were wise and they were prepared and they were waiting for the bridegroom and they had enough oil in their lamps to be there and to go in when the bridegroom came and to go into the festival. But there were others who were foolish and they weren't ready and the bridegroom came and caught them while they were away trying to make some some rush provisions and they were left outside. And then he tells this parable about the talents. Now, we have a problem who are English speakers when we come to this parable because this word talent trips us up. There is an old interpretation, and it is a common interpretation of this parable to this day, which associates these talents with what we call talents. And our word for talents actually comes from this parable. Uh, it's not a, a native English word, and because of this old interpretation, our word for talents, which means skill or ability or proficiency or proclivity to do something, that's an old interpretation that these talents represent skills or abilities, and that's how we got our word talents. But a talent, if we look at it that way, uh, we, we get tripped up because a talent was simply a unit of measure. It was a weight. And it was a large weight. In fact, it was the largest weight that was applied to monetary units. And when I tell you how big it was, you'll understand why it was the largest. Because a talent was about 70 to 75 pounds. And if you think about 70 to 75 pounds of gold, that's an enormous fortune. Uh, it could be that, but more likely we're talking about silver. It doesn't say uh, what that would be. But even silver, at today's prices... One talent of silver would be worth $16,500. So two talents of silver would be worth $33,000. And five talents of silver would be worth $82,500 in today's prices. Now, uh, some of you might think, well, that's not a whole lot of money to invest. Some of you might look at that and think that's a vast fortune. But recognize that these are servants. Uh, we could translate, as some translations do, and it would be proper, it's the word that's often translated slaves. And so if we think about this amount of money in the hands of a servant or in the hands of a slave, we realize that this is a vast amount of money, even the one who received one talent. Uh, one commentator estimated that one talent would be what a laborer could hope to make in half of his lifetime. So this was a, a, a tremendous, a tremendous responsibility that he gave these servants. And by giving this responsibility to these servants, he was elevating them to managers, wasn't he? They were to be uh, not just household servants, they were to be managers of his estate in his absence. And it's interesting that it says he gave different amounts of money to three different servants. Now look at verse 15. It says, he went away on a journey. Oh, by the way, verse 14, it says, for it, for it 
will be like a man going on a journey. What is the it? Well, if you go back to the first, uh, the second parable, at the chapter 25, verse 1, it says, Then the what? Kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. So when we look at this parable, once again we have a parable of the kingdom. For it, that is, for the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted them his property to one he gave five, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Ability. So the talents aren't their ability. He gives the talents according to their ability. And it's interesting that he doesn't tell them what to do. He just gives them the money. And he goes away. But two of them, seeing this opportunity, they immediately went out and they worked the money. And amazingly, they were able to double the master's investment. They were able to have a 100% profit. How much, uh, how much would we like to have that sort of profit from our investments, they were able to have 100%. The one who had five made five more. The one who had two made two more. But then the third, the third took a common precaution of the day. They didn't have safe deposit boxes. But they did have a great deal of dirt. And what they could do, and this was common, it was a common way, and still I'm sure in many places is a common way to protect something. You dig a hole in the ground, you bury it, and if you are the only one who knows where it is, then it is at least relatively safe as long as your memory holds out and as long as you're alive. And he took a common precaution because he didn't want to lose the master's money. Can you imagine that responsibility? And so he was being careful with the master's money. Now, apparently, apparently this took a long time. Because when we get to verse 19, it says um, that after a long time, the master of those servants came. So how should we consider the activity of the three servants? We should consider that the first two servants didn't make 100% profit immediately. They made 100% profit because they worked over a long time Persevering, persevering in investing and working the master's money. And over this long time, they doubled their money. And we also ought to think of that third servant, that he hid the money in the ground and left it there for what? A long time. So it's not like he didn't have an opportunity to rethink this. He left it there for a long time. Then we have the settling of the accounts beginning in verse 19. It says, after a long time. By the way, by the way, this is somewhat parenthetical but important. If you have studied a New Testament course, perhaps at a university, you've probably heard something like this. Well, um, the New Testament said that Jesus was going to come back right away, and uh, he didn't. And so Jesus was mistaken, and Paul was mistaken, and then after he didn't come back, soon they had to rework things and kind of rework Christianity. But we find in this parable, for example, and we find from the very beginning that it was a, an indistinguished time period. And yes, they may have thought that it was going to be shorter, because Christians have thought that all through history, that it was going to be shorter, 
But Jesus provided parables like this to give us the idea that what? It might be a long time. A long time. So that's not a a later edition. Jesus told these parables to prepare His disciples for what could be a long absence. Now, it says, After this long time, the Master returned and settled accounts. The fact that He settled accounts means that it was clear what they should do, wasn't it? The fact that He came back and said, What did you do with it? makes it clear that even though he didn't specifically state what to do with the money, it was clear that they were given a stewardship, they were given an administration, a management, and they were to do something with what he had given them. And uh, they came, and each one told what they had done. And he had evaluated their abilities correctly. The first one came, and he was enthusiastic. He said, Master... You gave me five talents. I've made five more talents. I've doubled your money. And the Master responds to him in three ways. He praises him first. And he says, Well done. And he calls him good and faithful servant. And then, he gives him more responsibility. Did you notice that? He didn't say, thank you so much for doubling the money. Kick up your feet. Retire in South Florida. Just take it easy. Don't worry about working anymore. He says, I'm going to give you more responsibility because you have been responsible with a little bit. So for this master, $82,500 was what? A little bit. And this servant had been faithful with a little bit. And he said, I'm going to give you more responsibility. But he not only said he would give him more responsibility, he said he would give him more joy. He said, not only a general joy, but his joy. The Master said, I'm going to give you a closer relationship to myself. He invites him to take a step closer to the Master himself. You've been faithful in a little. I will give you more responsibility But come closer to me. Come participate more in the joy that I have and that I experience and that I share. And then, the second servant, verbatim, except for the number, comes and he says the same thing. Master, you delivered to me two talents. I have made two talents more. And his master said exactly the same thing to him. Well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much, enter into the joy of your master. So they both did the same thing, they both received the the same commendation, they both received more responsibility, they both took a step toward the master and entered more deeply into his joy. And then the third servant comes. The cautious servant who didn't want to lose his master's money. And he comes and he doesn't help himself by what he says to the master. Because he blames the master for his own timidity. And he says, Master, I knew you are a hard man. I know how you are. And I know that you reap where you didn't sow and you gather where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. 
Now, notice that he didn't lose anything. Notice that he didn't cause the master any harm. Notice that he didn't apparently disobey any explicit command of the master. But the master responded to him very strongly. And the first thing he said to him was to apply to him antonyms of the adjectives he used to describe the first two servants. Do you remember he called the first two good and faithful? And now he calls him wicked and slothful. Good and faithful, and now this one is wicked and slothful. And then he used his own words against him. And he says, oh, you knew that's how I am. You knew that I gather where I don't scatter. You knew that I reap where I haven't sown. Then, why didn't you take a conservative option that would have both protected the capital and given me some return on my investment? He said, they're bankers. You could have at least gotten a, what, for us, a certificate of deposit, a money market account. You could have done something that is, that is secure, that would have at least given me something upon my return. You see, he doesn't rebuke him for not doing something great. He rebukes him for not doing anything at all. And then he pronounces two sentences on this servant. And the first sentence is very surprising. He says, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. Now, what's surprising about that? We didn't know that there was somebody who had ten talents. Because what we thought, as we're listening to this parable, is that the, the first servant came and he had his ten talents, and he gave them to the master. That's how I read the parable. That's how I think anybody would read this parable. And that the second one came and he gave his four talents back to the master. They, they were giving back what was the master's. But now we find something that's a surprise. We find that the master left not only the initial capital, but also the 100% profit in the hands of the first two servants. In other words, he immediately did what he said he would do. What did he say he would do? He said he would give them more what? Responsibility. He said, you've been faithful with five, keep the ten and go do something with that. You've been faithful with two, keep the four and go do something with that. And the one who has ten, by the way, let's give him eleven so that we know that this money will be worked. And then he says this, for to everyone who has, verse 29, For to everyone who has, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Does that sound familiar? If you've been in this series, and you were here for the very first sermon on this series, where we were back in Mark chapter 4, and we heard the, the, the parable of the sower... And then we saw two other parables. Let's go back to that. It's on the screen. Mark chapter 4. He tells these parables about listening. And then he concludes these parables about listening by saying this. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. 
For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So, almost the same words, but in a very different context. What was the original context of that first parable? The context was how we hear the Word of God. And so we began this series on the parables saying, we need to be careful about how we hear the Word of God, because if we hear it, we will be given more. And if we don't hear it, even the little that we thought we had, we'll lose it. But here we find, at the end of the parables, we find the same principle applied to activity. Uh, Here, the Master is saying, those who produce more will get more. Those who produce little will lose even the little that they have. In other words, the same principle of more being given to more and that which is one has being taken away from the one who has least, that applies not only to receptivity, but it applies to productivity. Receptivity to the Word and productivity and putting the Master's, master's property to use. Now, that's the first punishment. The second punishment is even worse. When we get to the end, he says this, verse 30, "...and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." We've already heard this expression before. We heard it back in uh, chapter 13 about the parable of the weeds where the servants separated uh, the weeds out from the wheat, and some was thrown into the furnace, the weeds, and the wheat was gathered into the barns. But also this expression appears in the, the last parable in chapter 24. And if you'll turn back just to chapter 24, and this last parable talks about masters and servants. And... The master goes away, he sets them over his household. Verse 46, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing. So when he comes, he will set him over all his possessions. Very similar to this parable we're seeing today. But then it says, verse 48, But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I want you to notice something. In the parable of the the wheat and the weeds, and in the parable of the servants where some are faithful and some began to be drunkards and abusive, those, those who were drunkards and abuses, or those who were in the wheat and the weeds, those who were lawless, those who caused positive harm, they were sent into this outer darkness. And you might say, well, that's, that's a severe punishment. But, but we understand that because they were abusing other people. They were taking advantage of other people. They were giving themselves to disillusion. They were giving themselves to lawlessness. So we can understand, even though this sounds severe to us, that they would be cast out. But, but the shocking thing about this parable is that this servant is also cast into the same place. Even though he did nothing wrong. Even though he didn't apparently disobey any explicit command. The only thing that was wrong is that he didn't do anything at all. And he's assigned a place with those who were lawless, 
and those who were abusive and those who took advantage of others simply because he didn't do anything with what the Master had given him. Now, the meaning of the parable, I think by this time, even though this one doesn't come with interpretation, some of the early ones came with interpretation to give us a key so that we could understand these parables. Now I think we probably have a feel for these parables, and now we probably immediately are able to interpret these parables. Well, it's easy enough to identify the Master with Jesus. Jesus who came and then went away for a long time, but promised that He would come back again. And then the servants would be those who claim to be His followers, to claim to be part of His kingdom. Now what would the talents then be? Well, the talents are general, aren't they? They're not, we're not even told if they're talents of silver or copper or gold. It's just a quantity, different quantities for different people. What would the talents be? The talents would be whatever God has entrusted into our care to be put to use for the extension of His kingdom. Whatever He has put into our care to put to work for His kingdom. What would the prophets be? The prophets would be the results of our labors for the advancement of His kingdom. What's the big idea? I think it's very obvious, isn't it? That we, if we say that we're part of Christ's kingdom, if we say we're followers of Jesus, then we are to put to work faithfully what He has entrusted into our care for the advancement of His kingdom. Um, As in the parables about the seeds and the leaven, our faithfulness will result in fruitfulness. Did you notice something about the, the Master? He was not at all concerned about losing money. Did you notice that? Now, why is that? Maybe he was just so wealthy that he didn't care, but he seems like a man who cares about his possessions. It seems more likely in the context of this parable that he knew something about his possessions. He knew something about these talents that if they were put to work at any level, they would produce. Not like our money that sometimes gains, sometimes loses. He knew that what he had and what he entrusted, if only it's put to work, it will do the work. It will produce. We saw that the seeds, they produce and they grow. Why? That's what seeds do. We saw that the leaven leavened. Why? That's what leaven does. Now we see that these talents produce an increase. Why? Because that's what they do. And so, the the growth is not up to us. The only thing that's up to us is to put it to work. And God is the one who gives the increase. Also, according to this parable, if we prove to be faithful, God will give us more to do. If we prove to be faithful with a little bit, that God will give us more responsibility. Now, you may not think that sounds like a great idea. But I want you to think about this. This is talking about the kingdom of God. And I have had people say to me, and I've had the thought as well, because when we see these hallmark stories about heaven, it looks very, very dull, doesn't it? It looks like doing nothing. And human beings aren't made made to do nothing. 
But this kingdom that he's describing here is about doing productive labor. Doing things that, that work and produce and, and, and fructify. Uh, these, this is about doing something that works. You see, our problem with work is not work itself. It's that it doesn't work. We, we, we work and we work and we work and we don't get the increase that we want. And we're frustrated and we don't get the, the, the profits and the response that we want. That's the problem. But can you imagine working in something you love that always produces an increase? That sounds like heaven. And that's what's being described here. Be responsible with what you have. And God will give you more, yes, in this life, and He'll give you more in the next life, and He will add to your happiness. And that's the point here. This is not drudgery. This is happy labor for the advancement of the kingdom. As you know, we, we got the privilege of being missionaries in Mexico for most of all our, our adult lives. And uh, now I still have the privilege of being a minister of the gospel. And every once in a while, especially when we would go back to missions conferences and we'd be mission speakers, people would try to admire us for the sacrifices and the great things we were doing. And I said, you don't get it. You don't understand. We're the ones that get the most out of this, folks. We're the ones that are most blessed. We're the ones that get the most joy as we we muddle around much of the time and and we don't know what we're supposed to do, but but all we do is we we take what the Master has given to us and try feebly to, to put it to work and then we stand back and we watch God give the increase. And that gives us joy and that builds our faith. And so we're the ones who got most out of our 24 years in Mexico. We were the ones most favored. Why? Because God gave us more responsibility as the work grew. And correspondingly, He gave us more joy. That's how the kingdom of God works. The only way, folks, the only way we can go wrong is by doing nothing. You see... The first two were praised because they did great things. But he would have been happy with the third one with just a little bit of interest because at least he would have done something. You see, God is not calling on us to do great things and to go down into in the annals of Christian history as those who sparked the greatest revival that ever was seen in North America. Maybe one of us will be that. That would be great. But He's just calling on us to do something with what He's given us. And you say, well, what do I do? What do I do? Well, I commend you to read chapter 24, and I commend you to read the rest of chapter 25. Because when we go back in chapter 24... We find he's talking about the end. And if you look at verse 14 of chapter 24, he says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Do you want to know what to do in the meantime? Get the gospel out. How? Any way you can. Whatever you can do. 
whatever resources God has put at your disposal, use those to get the gospel out across the street, across the world, to the 204 different nations that are represented in our public schools. Whatever it might be, just do something to get the gospel out with what God has given you. And then, if you keep reading in chapter 25, there is this harrowing and encouraging parable about the sheep and the goats where Jesus praises His followers because they did things like this. There was somebody who was thirsty and his followers gave that thirsty brother or sister something to drink. There was a brother or sister who was hungry and and his followers gave that brother or sister food to eat. Somebody was in prison and and those, those followers visited that person in prison. Somebody was sick. Somebody was unclothed and the followers came and they did these simple things. These were not grandiose things, but Jesus says at the end of that parable, inasmuch as you have done these things, these simple things, to the least of my brothers, you've done them unto me. What, what to do? Plenty of ideas here. Get the Gospel out. And help other people with their needs. Now, it says in this parable that the Master gave them the different amounts according to their abilities. But there's also something else that distinguishes these servants. And we need to consider this before we close. And that was their perception of the Master. The first two and the third had very, very different perceptions of what the Master was like. You see, the first two were overwhelmed with the generosity of the Master. And they were so overwhelmed with the generosity of the Master that they weren't even afraid of, of losing the Master's possessions. They immediately went out with joy, with enthusiasm, and with what, what, what we might call some, some reckless abandon. And they invested the Master's goods for the increase of the kingdom. Why? Because they understand, they understood the generosity and the goodness of the Master. But what did the, the third one understand? He understood only one thing about the Master, that He was demanding. Now, the first two probably understood that as well, because they wanted to produce something for the Master. But that wasn't what motivated them. But that's what paralyzed the third one. He knew nothing of the generosity and the goodness and the favor of the Master. He knew only that He was demanding. And that produced in Him fear and timidity and caution. And the result was His own destruction. Why? Because He didn't know the Master. If you want to know the Master, you can read the, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and that's all you read, you will probably go away saying, wow, He's demanding. He requires a great deal. And He is the Master. And yes, He requires. He's the Master. But you need to keep reading. Because you will find, as you go on through the Gospel story, and as you get to the end, that that same Master that calls us to follow Him with a deep and radical and persevering discipleship, He's the same One who at the end doesn't just give some money, but gives His life. If you really want to see what the Master's like, look at the cross 
And there you will see the generosity of God. There you will see the favor of God. There you will see what Jesus is like. Yes, He calls us to render for Him. But first, He rendered everything for us. So look to the cross. Believe on Christ. Receive the blessings that you can have by being part of His kingdom. And then just do something. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You for Jesus, the Master, who came not only to give commandments, which He did, and not only to tell us how we must live, which He did, and we thank You for those commandments, and we thank You for that guidance about how to live. We thank You that most of all He gave Himself. We thank You that we have a Master who went before us. And He fulfilled all of the requirements that He lays on us. And then He died to pay the penalty for all of our shortcomings and rebellions and sins. And then He pours out upon us His benevolence and benefits and goodness. And then says, do something with this. I pray, O oh God, for all of us. I pray for myself. I pray for all of us hearing this word this morning. That we would not be timid, but rather that we would know You and know Your generosity. And then that we would go out and do something and then be amazed to see in Your hands, Your possessions, producing increase in the advance of Your kingdom for Your glory and for our joy. And we pray this in the name of our Master, Jesus Christ. Amen.